We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. It is Wednesday, November 8th, and the day after election night in the country for 2023. And we saw the incumbent governors win re-election races in Kentucky and Mississippi. Um, That was a good thing for Mississippi, not so great uh, for Kentucky with uh, Democratic Governor Andy Beshear uh, winning another term as Kentucky's governor. He defeated Republican uh, Daniel Cameron, who currently serves as um, the Commonwealth's Attorney General and was very outspoken um, in terms of pro-life. And a lot of the response to this particular election and also um, some of the blue wave that we saw last night as the Democrats also flip the Virginia House uh, to Democrats is that the rhetoric and the remarks and the statements on abortion, um, Democrats, frankly, are framing as extreme um, in terms of how Republicans are pursuing uh, pro-life in the wake of the Dobbs decision, and they're being very effective on this. And so a lot of the analysis uh, coming out of election night and into this morning is talking about kind of dialing it back on pro-life issues, which um, to those of us who are ardent pro-life advocates, uh, we, of course, are not going to dial back anything in terms of our stance for life and voting our values. But is there wisdom in how we respond? And a lot of uh, the criticism of Daniel Cameron was that he failed to directly respond to a targeted attack ad that ran for three months or so in uh, in. Kentucky that uh, was very effective in terms of this young woman who said that she had been a victim of incest and and um, could not, under Daniel Cameron's pro-life stance, obtain an abortion. And unfortunately, that was very effective. So uh, will this ultimately play into 2024 in terms of the U.S. Congress, but also the 2024 presidential race. The debate is tonight, uh, the third for the GOP, and uh, President Trump will not attend uh, like he hasn't the last two. He has taken a step back in terms of his pro-life stance, and will that even be a question tonight? A lot of the camps are considering that probably foreign policy, given uh, what's going on in Israel and also Uh, President Zelensky out of Ukraine saying that because martial law has been implemented in Ukraine, 
uh, he has has decided and has come out um, in a statement Monday saying that this just isn't the right time for elections in Ukraine. The presidential election, um, it's a five-year cycle in Ukraine, was supposed to happen in March. He's apparently saying this isn't the right time. So a lot of uh, foreign policy issues are setting the table for that debate. Um, but to talk about this more is um, Stefan Mihailu, who is uh, the communications director for the Vivek Ramaswamy uh, campaign. And uh, Stefan, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Um, so do you anticipate that uh, foreign policy will be front and center at tonight's debate? Good morning. It's a blessing to be with you and your listeners. Yes, you know, we anticipate foreign policy to be a big part of the third presidential debate. And Vivek Ramaswamy is crystal clear. He stands with Israel and wants Israel to have an Israel first policy in the same way that Vivek wants an America first policy. You know, he's planning on rolling out a no neocon pledge about keeping America out of World War III and securing our own border before America marches to a third world war. So there's no question foreign policy will uh, come up, but you did mention uh, the issue of abortion. Personally speaking, I am Catholic. I'm very strongly pro-life, heavily involved with our 40 Days for Life movement here in uh, Buffalo, New York, and across New York State in protecting life at all costs. And if it does come up, Vivek Ramaswamy will reinforce his position of being pro-life and protecting life uh, at all costs. But foreign policy definitely will be a major part of it. And Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be crystal clear. America first, keep us out of World War III. And Jenna, you're going to see a very distinct difference between career politicians who want to line their own pockets by sending us to war uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who will put America first and keep us out of World War III. And so, uh, Stefan, I really appreciate you addressing um, very head on the the abortion issue, um, because that was going to be my next question to you. I mean, why do you think that Republicans are not winsome in terms of how we address these types of issues? And I think a lot of conservatives are suggesting that uh, that Republicans need to kind of take the Donald Trump approach and before more exceptions and um, and kind of back off of this issue. And, and as a conservative Christian, I would say that's absolutely the wrong call. I disagreed uh, with Trump's rhetoric on that. And so what can we do and what should we do and what is Vivek prepared to do in terms of advocating for an abortion? abortion uh, policy that, that protects life, but it actually will win. Well, Vivek has been crystal clear that he is absolutely positively pro-life. It is a blessing now that I get to spend a lot of time with him working on the campaign and seeing his very pro-family positions, uh, where he and his wife, Dr. Aporva Ramaswamy, are raising two amazing, beautiful young boys, and he is very consistent in being pro-life. Uh, Again, from a personal perspective, as a, as a Catholic and, and pro-life individual, you know, I think that it's non-negotiable that we need to protect life at all costs. And if that issue comes up, we just have to be consistent in our pro-life policies. Vivek Ramaswamy certainly is. Um, you know, from a constitutional perspective, he is very clear, and you hear this from a number of other candidates, that from a legal perspective, it's something that should be decided at the states. That's exactly what Vivek's position is. But at the end of the day, you know, Christians, conservatives can be very comfortable with the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy is extremely and strongly pro-life and will protect life at all costs. And we cannot back down from that, regardless of 
a short-term election cycle that took place uh, last night. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about Ohio's uh, issue one in the next segment. Um, for, for those of you who I know are, are, are um, considering that loss, and it's it's tragic, uh, quite frankly. Um, but in terms of um, of the debate, it's interesting to see, Stefan, um, that Vivek and Ron DeSantis and, you know, even a few other of the candidates are actually running to the right of President Trump in terms of conservative policy, in terms of advocating for those fundamental uh, faith-based values, in terms of pro-life, in terms of foreign policy, and even some of the other things. Um, Do you think that that will have any real impact in terms of going into the third debate? Are people really paying attention to these debates or is is President Trump right to kind of take a back seat? I mean, he's going to be doing a rally um, tonight and, and has uh, Governor Sarah Sanders that is going to be there and endorse him. And so a lot of people are saying, well, this is kind of a division and a lot of attention will be focused on that. Um, what can Vivek in particular do um, in terms of, of getting people to watch and and actually move the needle forward? Jenna, it's a great question. You know, number one, from a faith-based perspective, Vivek Ramaswamy's pro-life. If you go to his 10 truths at Vivek2024.com, at the top of the list is God is real. Uh, and that will certainly resonate uh, with Christians and people of all faiths across the Republican spectrum. You're going to see a very distinctly different and difference between all of the candidates and Vivek Ramaswamy. You've got career politicians on that stage who are going to march America into World War III to line their own pockets and make millions of dollars while our sons and daughters go off to war. Vivek Ramaswamy is crystal clear. America first, keep us out of World War III. I think, Jenna, the big difference, too, is that you can only be an outsider once. Once. That's it. And Vivek Ramaswamy is the only political outsider and business owner in this race right now. He's the only one that can go in and destroy the deep state and truly gut the federal government by 75 percent. You know, he leads and other candidates follow. Vivek put out his policy proposals of gutting the federal government and shutting down a lot of the traditional so-called three-letter agencies. And then lo and behold, other candidates do the same many months later. So I think people watching this third presidential debate are going to see a distinct difference between a business owner and political outsider and Vivek Ramaswamy and other career politicians who want to lead us to war, who want to line their own pockets by going to war. And at the end of the day, Vivek will make every decision based on one principle. Does this put America first? That's what you're going to see on the debate stage tonight. And you mentioned uh, Stefan Mihailu, who is the uh, Deputy Communications Director for Vivek 2024, that uh, his platform, these 10 truths, and the first one, God is real. And as a Catholic, um, you know, most of, of our, if our audience um, is evangelical Christian conservatives, um, and we believe in the God of the Bible and um, the one true God. And there's a lot of question around Vivek's um, faith being a Hindu. How do you reconcile um, that statement, God is real, with him being a Hindu versus uh, being a Catholic, I mean, it, 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 th- I don't think we're talking about the same God. Well, look, Vivek Ramaswamy made sure that was the fundamental principle and platform of his 10 truths, that God is real. Uh, and you look at individuals like Thomas Jefferson, 
you know, if we're, if we're excluding people who are not Christian to become president of the United States, then one of our founding fathers would have been excluded from a faith perspective. You know, Vivek says all the time, God is real. He's a very strong person of faith. Uh, I know that he has an extensive uh, Catholic and Christian education from going to St. Xavier in Cincinnati. Faith is a fundamental part of his personal life, his professional life, and his entire life. Faith is incredibly important to Vivek and his wife, Aporva. And at the end of the day, he will promote faith-based principles for every American. And I think it's pretty consistent. You know, Vivek says all the time he's not running for pastor-in-chief of the United States of America. He's running for commander-in-chief. And at the end of the day, we want a president of the United States and a commander-in-chief who's going to stand up for our faith-based principles, who is pro-life, uh, and who will fight for uh, the Judeo-Christian beliefs and principles that our country is founded on. And that candidate is Vivek Ramaswamy. So at the end of the day, he will fight for Christians, he will fight for people of all faiths. And I think the most important factor to think about is he will fight to make sure that every single person in America will be able to freely and respectfully and openly participate in the religion of their choice. And I think that will resonate with people of all faiths across America. Well, and that is religious freedom in America. I mean, that's what's guaranteed and protected uh, by the First Amendment. And, um, you know, frankly, I would rather have a Hindu that is in office that is committed to conservative principles and will actually lead this country than a Catholic in name only like Joe Biden, who is a far leftist Democrat and look at where we are in the country. So, you know, that to me um, is, is not a problem in terms of supporting um, the vague. And you know, that's just a question that a lot of our listeners want to to reconcile. So I appreciate you addressing that, especially from a personal perspective. In the last like 30 seconds I have with you, um, Stefan, um, what is your prediction in terms of uh, tonight, the the moment that Vivek will shine the most? He's going to shine by showing America that he will put our country first, not lead us into World War III, and take that no neocon pledge that he's going to take care of business and improve America and fight for our country here at home and put America first rather than marching to World War III. And you're going to see career politicians take their best shot at him and career politicians fight to go to war to line their own pockets. And it's not going to happen with Vivek Ramaswamy as commander in chief. Well, Stefan Mahaili, really appreciate uh, your time this morning. And I love that your your X page uh, says harder to spell than Ramaswamy. Um, that's actually true. <laughs> so if anyone wants to follow you, it's at, and I'm just going to spell this, S-T-E-F-A-N. And the last name is M-Y-C-H-A-J-L-I-W. So if you didn't get that, go back and listen to the podcast um, that will be posted at AFR.net this afternoon. Um, So thanks so much, Stefan. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to appreciate Vivek's voice. And I'm so uh, happy that he got to the debate stage. I think his voice is incredibly important. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing what he brings tonight. So we'll be right back uh, with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. 
Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, last night, Ohio voters passed Issue 1, a radical amendment that removes all restrictions on abortions. This coming from Town Hall. It was also carefully crafted so as to remove parental rights, not merely on minors having abortions, but also gender transitions. This is because the ballots... Uh, ballot initiatives text purposefully discusses how the amendment establishes, quote, an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion, as well as referencing, quote, legal protections for any person or entity that assists a person with receiving reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. So, we failed as as the pro-life community uh, to actually go out and um, convince a turnout in Ohio uh, to vote this down. So what happened? Uh, where are the conservatives? What happened to the pro-life generation? What happened to having really good ground game um, in the wake of Dobbs? Uh, joining me now to discuss all this and more is our good friend Steve Dace, who is the host of his own show on Blaze TV. And Steve, um, this was incredibly disappointing, frankly. I think we all, though, if we were being honest, saw it coming. And you know, Jenna, this goes back to a conversation you and I had several months ago, and I pointed out to your AFR audience that the, 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 pro-life, the national pro-life movement is not prepared for the post-Roe world. It is, it, is, it is not prepared for a parochial, regionalized, uh, localized battle. It has operated under a massive um, structure and national fundraising structure of everything has to be done in Washington, D.C. And my theory is they will look at these results and say, well, we not coincidentally have to continue the paradigm that helps us all keep our jobs um, because we're going to need national abortion bans to defeat this. The problem is, and, and you know this working in party politics, right now we have no credibility with the Republican Party. There are two ways that you get politicians to do what you want them to do. One is conviction. Very few times will that work. Um, the other is your position with them, your leverage with them. And right now, you're just you're just you're just not going to get a bunch of Republicans who really weren't pro-life anyway, but just had to act like they were. You're not going to get them to put their pensions and careers on the line when you can't even defend a Trump plus nine state in Ohio. Uh, just, that's just not going to happen. I mean, we 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 somehow took. Our greatest, I mean, only the American right 
could take its biggest win in the last 50 years, the overturning of Roe, and turn that into its own little bighorn. And, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for this. But, you know, and it's ironic that you guys ran the ad right before I came on for Preborn. They're great partners with me on my show. And I even point out when I, when I do their reads, what they just said in their ad, they're one of the few that was ready for a post-Roe world because they're an actual ministry. They're not a business. And all throughout the right, I once, I once asked Tim Wildman at lunch down there. I was down there visiting down there in Tupelo several years ago, AFR. And I asked him why they weren't in Washington, D.C. And he said, hey, man, you staying away from there? Staying here in Tupelo is how we stay grounded you know, and keep focused on Amen the Amen to that. And, yeah. and the reality is on the right, whether it's the life issue or elections, there is a major conflict now between what will keep our financial gravy trains going and what will actually win. And don't let – there's other issues. That's not the only issue. We have serious work to do on educating people. And, but, but those other issues are the result of this one core issue. You, for example, you were told the polls are great. Trump's winning the New York Times poll. Then I, I, another polls are great from media who hates us. And then game day, we get our faces caved in yet again. We're, we're so reduced to ash that our new talking point is we held Mississippi. That's what we're down to. Okay, we held Mississippi, <laughs> so that's great. Okay, so the reality is there is a major conflict between the industry on the right and the movement on the right. And when you are in, when you are in opposition or you're in insurgency, that conflict isn't as pronounced as it is then when it's time to actually govern or hold ground. And, 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 and that's where we're at now. We, we cannot do the strategic things that, that are required now for this new era of conflict because it gets in the way of too many people's bottom lines. Yeah, and, you know, interestingly, um, Jamie Harrison, who is the DNC chair and, frankly, way more effective than RNC Ronna McDaniel, who I am not a fan of at all and have not been even since my time working for President Trump, um, he tweeted this this morning. He said, I know I'm a broken record, but tonight once again proved my motto for life. Workhorses are better than show horses. I'm so proud of our candidates. Democratic state parties, volunteers, and most importantly, our voters that don't focus on polls and red wave punditry. They just do the dang work. And that's absolutely true. And so heading into the debate tonight, then, um, I, I think that's kind of an apt analogy to say workhorses are better than show horses. Better to have someone who works and gets results than just entertains and has punditry. So what's your, uh, I mean, that's kind of the segue into the debate tonight, but, you know, Ron DeSantis is very pro-life. Um, what does he have to do to overcome this perception of the primaries totally over and Donald Trump has run away with it, so it doesn't even matter if anybody gets out and votes? Well, that, that comes from the same polls that keep telling us we're going to do all, great in all these elections and keep losing. But, I mean, we had, I mean, the earth shook in Iowa this week when Governor Reynolds endorsed DeSantis. And that that has changed the entire energy level in Iowa. She's the most popular statewide Republican official of my lifetime. And and not just popular with the masses, but um, we've had a lot of Republicans that could win, like, Grassley year after year after year. But they're not popular with the grassroots. I mean, I always say there's two kinds of Republicans, Jenna. There's the, the kind you vote for because they're one of us. And then there's the kinds you vote for because they're not one of them, okay? And, and, and most of the time, we're voting for people because they're not one of them. 
Can you vote for her because she's one of us? So she's not just popular with the wider um, electorate in Iowa. She's extremely popular with the grassroots. The amount of energy on the ground in the Iowa caucuses changed dramatically in the last uh, 36 hours. In fact, I've just almost never seen anything like it. I mean, it was like it was like the caucus process wasn't going, and then suddenly it just months of it all took place at once. So I, I would I would I would keep an eye on what's going to happen there in Iowa because really that's the only opinion that matters. No one no one else is voting except about 200,000 people in Iowa 69 days from today. And and the way that they vote will factor in who's still in the race, who you'll even be able to vote for, what the perceptions of the race will be. Um, you know, there's no one has ever, uh, no one, no, every every person that's ever won Iowa has finished at least in the top three, uh, or, or didn't finish in the top three in Iowa, has never won the nomination with one exception. That was McCain, and he missed he missed the top three in Iowa by like 0.3 percent. You know, so. The Iowa caucus winner has always finished no lower than second for the nomination every single time. So the, the entire energy uh, in, in the broader landscape will change based on what Iowa does. And so I would just keep an eye on what is going on there. But we have, we have broader problems. And the broader problem truly really is what I mentioned before. And but ultimately, the people have to decide this, Jenna. The, 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 our people have to decide they're willing to do the hard work of, of what it takes to save a civilization, or are they just okay with continuing to outsource their activism? Uh, you play into this silent majority talking point from 1984, um, uh, you know, continue to be passive. Our, our people are going to have to decide that, you know, and, and the candidates ultimately are a reflection of that. I mean, Trump is reflects the, I've, I'll handle everything. Give it to me. I've got everything. You don't have to do anything. DeSantis, if you're going to nominate someone like DeSantis, that's going to take more work than, hey, we just hand it off to him. I mean, he, he presents such a disruption to the system on a policy level. He's going to require a lot of, a lot of support on a local level, on a state legislative level, uh, because of what he represents from a policy standpoint. That's a lot of work. And, and we've not really shown we're into doing a lot of work. We're not really into doing anything. We won't even cut checks anymore. We were dramatically outfunded. Think ahead to next year. I mean, it's, if, if we're dramatically outfunded defending babies in Ohio, I can't imagine there's a lot of people lining up to donate money to a presidential candidate you know, who's on it, who's, who's, you know, for his legal defense fund while he's running for president. We, we have to, you know what, I'll, 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 let me just say, I'll finish with this, this, my, this answer with this. I, right before you, I got off the phone with someone who ranks very high in the conservative media uh, industry from a, from a management standpoint. Um, and I said this to him, and I'll, I'll just share it with your audience. I fear that we are, um, we, are we, are, we are helping this feedback loop of deceit by the amount of, of look-at-the-polls content we do for clicks and for business, that we have convinced our people hard work is not required, that, that it's just as simple as Trump is MacArthur in the Philippines. People can't wait for him to return. And so we're just going to sit here and, you know, for another 363 days, and, and wait for the second coming of Trump to save us all. And we're not doing anything because our content basically is the, is, has the same effect porn has on people, well, where it just diminishes their overall physical capabilities, their overall ability to relate in a real relationship. And that's what we're feeding people with these polls 
and we can't break away from it because it's the best content for our own business. People love hearing the home team's going to win all the time, and yet it's not always true. Sometimes you need to fire the coach. Sometimes you need to draft a different quarterback. Sometimes you need a new offensive coordinator. But, but we're convinced people don't want to hear all that, so we're, we're helping this feedback loop of self-deception. Really well said, and what an apt analogy. And this whole idea of fealty and loyalty just to one person, uh, rather than looking at the overall structure of what's going on in America and this rapid descent into utter destruction and debauchery, um, it, it really shows the priorities of conservatives rather than being focused on a biblical worldview and understanding that we have to be engaged in culture. We have to be engaged, period. Um, if we want to have the outcomes we prefer. And you're so right, because all of these social media influencers um, that are, you know, kind of the, the MAGA camp that I saw over the last, you know, several weeks leading up to, and especially yesterday, you know, during the election, it was, oh, the red wave is here. We got this, you guys, and no problem. And then today, they're not coming out and saying, wow, we were wrong. We have to get uh, to doing the hard work because they're not doing the hard work. None of them are. And they're not engaged. They're not encouraging people able to be engaged more than just putting on a red hat and showing up at, you know, parties in Florida. That's not going to change anything. And so from the standpoint as well, though, and, and, and I was talking to, um, to Tim Wildman last night um, about some of the election results, and, and my comment to him was, I think the church has utterly failed. Because when you see Christians that have a worldview that they say they're Christian, and yet they are okay with pro-choice or they're okay with the byproducts and the outcome of the sexual revolution. Um, that's not engagement. And these pastors that are unwilling to say to their congregations, you have to be civically engaged. I blame churches. Um, and so I think we need to start there, Steve, as well. What, what do you think about churches? It's always about the church. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the, the church is the moral barometer of any civilization it is in every single time. And there's, and, and there's just no other way around that. I mean, that, that is, I mean, that's, that's where people understand and are taught and learn um, the kingdom of God and, and eternal values. They emanate from the church. And, if the, and, and, and that is ultimately the biggest problem we have. And that's even, you, you see, the Southern Baptist Convention is a great example of this. What, what, this was the most, uh, the largest, most influential denomination in evangelicalism. In the last seven years, the Southern Baptist Convention has essentially been reduced to ash over your position on Donald Trump. There are ministers in the Southern Baptist Convention who literally make mo pocket money selling access to Donald Trump. And then there are people like the Russell Moores and Beth Moores who pretended to, and to kind of be for some form of orthodoxy for several years, and particularly when she could sell a bunch of books with it, who now suddenly abandon all orthodoxy, abandon all ecclesiastical tradition, let's, let's make uh, women pastors and have no standards of morals whatsoever. And, and, and all of this emanated from Trump. The, the Southern Baptist Convention abandoned sola scriptura and essentially became a Twitter battle between Tito Jesus saves and Orange Man bad. Nothing of transcendence there. Nothing. And, that's, a, and that's, that's not much, that's kind of a metaphor. And what's really happening, too, with you and I's generation, with limited exception, you and I's generation is now beginning to take over the pulpits. And, what, what, and, 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 and they, they saw some of the old, the original OG religious right leaders 
their previous generation essentially allowed themselves to be reduced to mascots for the Republican Party, like Pat Robertson once endorsed Rudy Giuliani for president in a primary, for example. And they see that. And then they're like, well, I don't want to become like that. So I'm going to go way the other way. Okay. And just completely divorce myself from the civic realm. And, and we're just going to preach the gospel as kind of this abstract philosophy of, of, of salvation that never actually interacts with the larger world, which if that were the case, you know, why did Peter get hung upside down and Paul get his head cut off? Okay, this is not, this is not reality. The, the gospel is not meant to be hermetically, in a hermetically sealed environment. It's meant to permeate. It's meant to create conflict. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so this is what I see now the new Gen X, a lot of the Gen X pastors are doing. Is they're, they're like, I don't want to be a mascot for the GOP. They're not worth it anyway. They'll sell us out first chance they get, and they're right about that. But then they go, they go, they take the pendulum the other way. So, like, they're just completely, and then this is where we get into Eric Metaxas's letter to the American church, where they just completely just become vacant from the public square altogether. And so nature abhors the vacuum, and so that the church is not interested now. If the church is, if the previous era threatened the gospel with this, you know, political pietism, now it is threatening the gospel with monasticism. We're just going to vacate the public square altogether. There, there is no measure there. There's no plumb line there. That's it's all reactionary. So well said, Steve Dace. I so appreciate your thoughts. You are um, one of the most important voices on all of this because of your biblical worldview and how sharply you cut through all of these issues to the truth. I always appreciate um, having you on, my friend. Thanks so much. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We want to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say Freedom. CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24 7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. 
friends, this is a milestone year as Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 30th year of ministry. It started back in 1993, and this is a direct way for you to equip the local church around the world, Operation Christmas Child's local ministry partners with a simple shoebox gift to reach their own communities and establish long-term relationships. So pack your shoebox now with any standard size shoebox and drop it off during the third week of November. This year, that's November 13th through the 20th. Shoeboxes will be collected across the country at more than 4,500 drop-off locations. So start with a quality wow item such as a stuffed animal, a soccer ball uh, with a pump or a clothing outfit that will capture a child's attention uh, in the instant that he or she opens the box. And then you can fill the shoebox with other fun toys, personal care items, and school supplies. For gift suggestions, volunteer opportunities, and drop-off locations, visit the Samaritan Purse website. That is samaritanspurse.org org slash OCC for Operation Christmas Child to learn more and find a drop-off location near you. That's SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. So we are continuing to talk about the fallout of the election last night and also heading in to the third GOP debate tonight. And really the top issue um, is abortion and how that affected the elections uh, last night and how that may influence the 2024 elections, not just for uh, president, but um you know, but also for all the way down ticket. So joining me now is our good friend, Josh Hammer, who is uh, with Newsweek, an editor there, and also hosts the Josh Hammer Show at Newsweek. And it's also on radio now. Josh, where can people listen on local radio? Yeah, Jenna, thanks so much, as always, for having me. So we are very excited that we debuted on the airways of KTTH Seattle this past weekend. So it's there on both Saturdays and Sundays. The episode will debut there, and then it's available where podcasts are out on Monday mornings. But we're looking to expand. We're looking to eventually ideally take this show much further than just Seattle, but we're really excited to get started there with KTTH. And, uh, yeah, always a pleasure to join you, my friend. Yeah, well, um, congratulations on that, and I hope that you do expand because um, your commentary is one that I follow and read and have for years, um, even you know when we just knew each other on social media before um, we actually became good friends in person. And um, and I love when that happens, and you find somebody that's so solid, and you know continue to follow their work, and um, you know just see uh, you you take off. And and I think that um, especially all of your legal commentary is so important. Uh, but I want to get your your political commentary on. Um, the election last night and then heading into the GOP debate, uh, Joe Biden and, you know, his handlers, of course, not him, um, sent out an email this morning. And of course, I'm on all of these lists because I want to see what they have to say. And the headline was tonight, democracy won and MAGA lost. And he says from Joe himself, <laughs> of course, across the country tonight in states like Kentucky, Ohio and Virginia, democracy won and MAGA lost. It's what we've always said. Voters vote. Polls don't. I think he's right, unfortunately. What do you think? Well, I think he's right to an extent. I mean, you know, Kentucky's a good example as to why some of this might be right. I mean, uh, Daniel Cameron was a hand-picked candidate for Donald Trump running for governor there in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. You know, he lost that race pretty handily, Jenna. I mean, the final tally, I think, obscures how lopsided it was. The early returns were so out of control that 
Dave Wasserman, who's one of the guys who's always up on election night calling races, I mean, he called that race by, you know, if I recall, I think it was around 7.15, 7.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I mean, I, I mean, that's really early. That's really early in an election night to call a race that Republicans really should have, at a bare minimum, been closely battling for. I mean, Kentucky is a very, very red state at the federal level. It voted for for Donald Trump by massive margins about 2016, 2020. Yes, the Bashir family name maybe carries a lot of gravitas there in Kentucky, but the fact that Cameron so heavily underperformed, I, I think definitely does impugn the political judgment or lack thereof of Trump and the whole Mar-a-Lago political operation. It's obviously not the only data point that we have when it comes to that. I mean, going back to the 2022 midterms, there were any number of other candidates who were hand-selected by Donald Trump, who ultimately went down in flames. There was of course, um, there was Herschel Walker in Georgia. There was Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, probably two of the more prominent examples there. Herschel Walker maybe being the most painful loss to, to suffer there. It was a very close race, of course. You know, but th- there are other problems going on here, Jenna. I mean, you know, you alluded to the abortion issue. Look, this is a tough issue. I mean, it's something that I, both of us are very outspoken on. I mean, I, I spoke at a, at a pro-life activist conference as recently as two and a half, three months ago out in Utah. And you know, I wrote, a, I wrote a speech for that conference, and it was kind of a difficult message to deliver to an audience of pro-life activists, of, of pro-life lawmakers, because I, I took a more kind of reasonable, kind of um, restrained, you might say, um, I, I was more restrained than basically saying, you know, let's just go, let's go ban abortion now. Look, obviously I would prefer to go ban abortion in America right now. I actually think that the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, properly interpreted, probably requires that result. However, the reality is, Jenna, we just can't ignore these results. I mean, time and again, the voters are saying that they're simply just not ready for that. And that's a very, very difficult place for pro-lifers to be in there. So I think it's a combination of multiple factors there. But clearly, clearly, I, I do not think Donald Trump is, is very good, would be a very, very strong understatement at picking candidates. He has a very bad track record of his candidates now going down in flames in, in midterm elections just like this. Yeah, and I think that this also speaks to um, the RNC's national leadership and Ronna McDaniel in particular that um, just can't win. I mean, she's so ineffective at her job, and it seems like the Republicans, and I was actually talking to um, a couple people who work for and with um, the RNC, and I won't name them, um, but, you know, last night after the election results, and none of them like her. I mean, everybody says, you know, we wish that we had her meet, Dylan. Um, We, you know, and and this is, it, it seems like, and they agreed with me that um, Rana seems to like the position of the minority because that just allows her to go on media hits and really not have to do the work that it takes to do anything other than complain about the Democrats and fundraise and um, and, and then you know have a really great salary and a nice life and that's not what um, conservatives expect nor should we from um, a party that is supposed to represent our values and um, so so moving ahead then into the the third presidential primary debate tonight. Um, how much emphasis do you think will be or should be on the disaster that was not the red wave last night? And how can candidates address that without uh, the presence of Donald Trump being there? I mean, I think this is a huge opportunity to address it head on. Yeah, it is. And look, there's one elephant in the room, and I'm happy that you brought up Ronna McDaniel, who is a, she's just atrocious at her job, Jenna. I mean, in most 
fields, you know, in most lines of work, if you are grossly incompetent for years and years on end, if you have failed to rack up any tangible wins on the board and just perpetually lose, you know, in most lines of work, you would have been out of a job towards the beginning of that streak of losing because most people who properly are aligned by incentives, you know, especially in the private sector where you have profit and loss and all that, they'd be out of their jobs. And it, it really is remarkable to me that here we are, or it is November 2023, Republicans have yet again suffered a terrible loss and Ronna McDaniel is still, you know, slurping down big meals and, and luscious, uh, you know, living lusciously with, with a massive, massive salary. And the person ultimately to blame, I think, for her remaining in that position is Donald Trump. So that's a nice way, I think, to kind of potentially bring it back to Trump the, uh, tonight on the debate stage. If this question gets raised about what happened in the midterms last night, and I fully expect that it will, it's so timely, how can it not? I would hope, you know, I would hope to see Ron DeSantis, perhaps among others, talk about that. Talk about, you know, what is Ron McDaniel doing there right now? I mean, Donald Trump, again, you know, he he equivocated to to explicitly go all in for Rana at the time that Harmeet Dillon was challenging her. But it was the world's worst kept secret that he was having a lot of his surrogates behind the scenes there. The RNC committee men go ahead and put her over the finish line. DeSantis, if you recall, Jenna, actually ultimately came out explicitly in favor of Harmeet Dillon. If I, mm-hmm. I think she did that in an interview or he did that in an interview with Charlie Kirk, actually, if I recall. This is a potentially very, very good talking point, a very good line for Ron DeSantis to use there. You know, there's been so much misinformation from the Trump world, from the Mar-a-Lago crew, these ridiculous late night, semi-drunken, illiterate screeds on Truth Social. You know, all of this stuff saying that, oh, Ron DeSantis is the Carl Rove, Paul Ryan establishment rhino. I mean, you and I both know that that is transparent nonsense. I mean, Ron DeSantis has been anti-establishment since his very first days in Congress, where he was a, a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus. But this is, I think, a very tangible, clear way to, to demonstrate that to the voters, is to say, you know what, Republican voters, you don't like losing? Well, guess who's responsible for losing? Well, it is Ron and McDaniel, and to no small extent, yes, it is Donald Trump and his horrific slate of hand-picked successors himself. So it's a potentially very fruitful path, I, I think, to go down. And again, I would anticipate that the interviewers would go there just because it's so fresh in our memory that literally just happened last night. So I, I would encourage the DeSantis camp to go full throttle on that line of attack. Yeah, and, and I think that that um, would be effective, not just for DeSantis, but for everyone on the stage who um, is saying that, you know, they would be a, a better uh pick of personnel, uh, because that was one of the main um, drawbacks and the main criticisms of the Trump administration was a lot of the personnel picks. And, you know, everybody um, who was vocally against Ronna McDaniel, I mean, it was something, you know, like 98 percent in like all of the polls, which, of course, didn't matter because you only had um, the delegates, uh, the, you know, the, the RNC, um, the actual people in the states that that voted her back in by a wide margin. And so it wasn't really the constituents choice. And that is something that is, I think, accurately, directly attributable um, to her being Trump's handpicked person. And, you know, here we're in an yet another election that there's no red wave like all of these social media influencers were predicting. And somehow uh, there is nobody connects the dots here to say, OK, well, 
whose fault genuinely is that and how can we move forward? And I think we need to ask and answer that question responsibly without just fealty to one party, one personality, uh, because this matters. This matters to our system of government. This ultimately matters to the future of America. And so, you know, how important... Um, will this debate tonight be? I mean, I'm seeing already a lot of the um, the mainstream media and the leftist media saying, you know, this is going to be a contest between DeSantis and Haley uh, because she's rising in the polls, which I find very interesting. Um, do you think there's any legitimacy to that in terms of her favorabilities going up when clearly she's much more of the establishment bent and everything that the Trump camp is complaining about DeSantis is actually accurate about Haley, not DeSantis? Yeah, that's totally right. I mean, Nikki Haley's entire political platform is essentially a throwback, is the best I can tell, to the 2004 to 2008 era Republican Party, the era of George W. Bush, John McCain, kind of a swashbuckling, you know, spread democracy across the tentacles of the world and the open conservatism with a Wall Street Journal editorial board style approach to corporatism and and, and, you know, tax cuts are always the solution. Don't worry about what's happening in middle America with deindustrialization and trade deals. I mean, it's just a total, total time machine backwards there. You know, it's been interesting to me to see the Haley campaign try to try to surge of sorts. Yeah, she's had a couple of debate performances that have registered fairly well, I guess, in the eyes of those who, who are watching her. But, you know, the contrast, again, when it comes to substance between her style of governance and Ron DeSantis's really could not be clear. I mean, if you want to ultimately get to a mano a mano versus Donald Trump, and if you want that person to literally, again, be a, a throwback to the Republican Party of 20 years ago, just trying to, re- to revert back to before Trump went down the gilded escalator, then Nikki Haley is your horse. If you want someone to challenge Donald Trump who can actually present a, you know, a well-rounded kind of full-spectrum defense of, of a different, newer, savvier, more hands-on, more aggressive style of governance that is more in tune with the times, I think that's very clearly Ron DeSantis based on what he has done prolifically in the state of Florida over the past five years or so there. So, you know, it would be, it would be really nice to kind of see the two of them lock horns and tangle up and just have that debate, you know, in those terms. I mean, I mean what is the style of conservatism that would be best to take on Donald Trump. I personally would love to see that, Jenna. I think it's been a long time coming now. There's been a lot of talk from the Haley from the Haley camp. You know, the DeSantis camp has started to run some ads against her as well there. I personally, for one, would relish, I think, seeing the two of them just have that debate. Who, What is the best nature, the, the best type of conservatism to take on Donald Trump and lead this party and this country forward? Yeah, and I hope that um, with only five candidates uh, being on stage tonight, we'll get a little bit more um, robust responses from all of the candidates. And I hope that that will allow a little bit uh, more of that clash and uh, more than just, you know, the the two minute kind of responses. Um, But we'll see tonight. So Josh Hammer, uh, we're already out of time. I could talk to you for a lot longer, but thanks so much as always for joining. You can uh, follow Josh on X at Josh underscore Hammer and also uh, listen to his show at Newsweek. And you can reach me and my team anytime, Jenna at AFR.net. And we'll be back tomorrow post-debate with some of that analysis.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.